Globe podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. As you are aware of, we've been in this current series called Abide the last number of weeks, and today is the final Sunday, and this being the final Sunday, uh, we're going to be closing this out, but we won't be with Pastor Marty. Pastor Marty is actually out of town, uh, out visiting, uh, spending some time with some family at a family wedding, enjoying that with his bride, so they're going to be returning into town later today. But this morning, we're going to be receiving from another voice, and if you were in service last week, Pastor referenced, hey, we need other voices in our lives. You're going to hear a little bit from somebody else's voice. But as it pertains to the Abide series, I want to encourage you, if you've missed anything these last several weeks, uh, don't just stay out of the loop. There's a way to be in the loop. Go to our church app. Go to our website. Pull down the video. Listen to the audio. There, there's no excuse to, to be only hearing part of the conversation. You know, the national average out there is that people attend church or part of this gathering two out of every four Sundays. And because our series are literally a conversation, a dialogue that we have not only with one another but with God, if you're there only half the time, you're only getting half the story. And so I want to make sure that you have the opportunity to take in the good stuff that we have that we put out there so you can take it all in in its totality. So I want to encourage you, please go about doing so. But this morning, we have another voice uh, that we're going to be hearing from today. And uh, uh, before we dive into who that is, I want to tell you a little bit about who this person is. And I, and I have some notes here because I want to make sure I get it just right. So, well, first off, she was born on August 2nd, 1973, to a father whose family is from Arkansas and a mother whose family fled Spain to get away from the dictator at the time. She would grow up in a small town of 3,000 people called Winters, which is a 20-minute drive from Davis, California. And get this, because this isn't my experience. In fact, when I actually visited this town, I was like, what? It has one flashing red light and is surrounded by almond orchards growing what local farmers called almonds. Now, they pronounce them that way because, as I'm told, in order to get the almonds off to the trees, they shake the L out of them. I want to make sure I enunciate, shake the L out of them, because I don't like, Pastor Marty, when Pastor Jonathan got up there, he was, you know, he was saying hell and hell and hell. No, no, I said L. I just want to make sure you heard that right, right? Okay. They shake the L out of them. True story. I get around the, the, the growers, they're like, listen, you, you common folk call it almonds, we call them almonds. I'm like, all right, duly noted. Uh, but coming of age in a small agricultural town, she grew up in the up loving country music, steak and potatoes, driving her red VW Bug that was put together by her mechanic father, raising animals for competitions, and public speaking for FFA. And for those of you who don't know what that is, that is Future Farmers of America. She would not pursue a career in agriculture and farming, but said yes to God's calling to pursue ministry, leaving small-town USA to head south to Los Angeles, San San Dimas to be precise, to attend Life Bible College, which is now known today as Life Pacific University. And while pursuing her degree, working at Acura of Pasadena and serving in the youth ministry at a small church called the Church on the Way in Van Nuys, this country girl would meet a young man in school with skinny arms, there's a story behind that, who played drums, loved jazz, spoke Spanish, savored international food, and grew up as a missionary and pastor's kid whose parents pastored a Hispanic church in the San Fernando Valley. You could say he was the exact opposite of her. 
But as they say, opposites do attract, and on February 11th, 1995, the two would wed and begin an adventure together that started off with just trying to finish college. And one year later, she would do just that, graduating with her bachelor's degree as her graduating class speaker two years before her husband, which she likes to remind him of from, uh, from, uh, from time to time. After he caught up to her and finally graduated in 1998, they would end up starting their family with their first of three daughters, Chloe. And while their daughter was nine months old, she followed her husband to Santa Clarita to join the efforts of Marty Walker, the newly appointed pastor of a church called The Sanctuary in Canyon Country, California. And in those days, the staff was just two full-time pastors and two part-time support staff. This building, which we're in right now, was the literally the church building where services were held. And it also had offices, which were right here where the stage is. There were little doors going to the small offices. And in our foyer, just outside here, that was the nursery for, for, the, for the kiddos during services. And in the courtyard, there was a double-wide trailer that served as the kids' ministry for those uh, up to sixth grade. Building A, as it's now known, across the parking lot was Just Beams. For the first time, Just Beams. Over the nearly 20 years since then, she would see two more daughters come into her family's world, the last being quite a surprise. She'd also joined the church staff, now numbering around 13 people, bringing not only her administrative prowess to the team, but her love for people and a heart for ministry, serving in all kinds of ways and in all kinds of places. So many that if I listed them, we'd be here all morning, I promise you. Though often she's behind the scenes and not in not-so-visible places, her fingerprint can be found on a lot of what's done through the sanctuary, including our Young Adults Ministry, Integrate, and the upcoming Thrive Journey. She is truly an amazing woman who possesses deep, practical wisdom for God. But this morning, you don't just have to take my word for it. You get to hear straight from her. So I would, would you welcome my beautiful bride, Dawn, <laughs> with, with whom I will be celebrating 25 years of marriage in just a couple weeks here. So anyway, all right. Thank you. Kill him. Oh. Not, not literally. Oh, whoa. <laughs> I promise I won't. I'm really hoping that you all are as bad at math as I am because I asked him to take the year out of that birthday. But <laughs> All right. Good morning, my friends. Well, since we're still in January, I'll be at the last Jan Sunday in January. I'm going to say Happy New Year because New Year's Day is actually my favorite my favorite holiday. As far as long as I can remember, it's been my favorite holiday. And I think it's because I'm pretty well aware at, at what a sinner I am and how flat I am as a person. So the idea of like fresh starts and, and do-overs or my stepdad used to call them mulligans. Any golfers in here? I didn't know what that meant. He had to define that for me. Do-overs, that's pretty darn appealing to me. So New Year's Day has always been that for me, one of my favorite holidays. Um, before Facebook, any of us in the room remember MySpace? Anybody have MySpace? All right. Well, my uh, MySpace profile read, um, I love the first of the week, the first of the month, the first of the year, Mondays, and the color red. <laughs> and I didn't wear that just to make the point. That truly is. Do you know every car looks better in red? I challenge you otherwise. Every car looks better in red. All right. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for do-overs. I'm so grateful for second chances, for um, forgiveness, for fresh starts. And so this morning, Lord, as we conclude this series but continue on learning about abiding and remaining, would you speak to us this morning so that we walk away knowing that we are loved by you and it would change who we are. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
So with the first of the year comes a new Bible reading plan, right? You start over at the beginning of the year, at least I do. And so, of course, that means Genesis. Now, I've become quite the expert on Genesis over the years because no matter how off track I get, Throughout my Bible reading plan for the year, I always seem to finish Genesis. <laughs> so I like to think of myself as a Genesis expert. <laughs> and in reading this book over and over and over and over and over again, it has struck me that from the beginning of time, from Genesis 1, from the beginning of creation, it has been God's intention to have intimacy with man and woman. It is the intention of the Lord to pursue us. As we read all through Genesis and the Old Testament, we read about our faith forefathers having a close, intimate relationship with God. They're walking with him. They see his glory manifest. God's making covenants with man. God is constantly pursuing man. So in this whole month, we've been talking about abiding. That's, the, the, that's been our theme this month and about what it means to have both an organic and an intentional intimacy with the Father. So you're going to learn, as if that wasn't enough that you learned about me this morning, that's a pretty steep history about Don, um, you're also going to learn that I'm very pragmatic. Do I have any pragmatic people in the room that's like, tell me what to do. I like to know what to do. I don't do well with questions like, if you could do anything in all the world, and time and or money were not a factor, but they are. So I, I truly don't understand the question. It actually frustrates me. <laughs> I like real, like can-do checklists. So for those of you in the room that are more like me, and you're not necessarily a dreamer, you're like, tell me what to do about that. Um, I have a little bit of good news and a little bit of bad news for you. So hang in there. Hang in there with me, okay? We've been spending time this month in John, the Gospel of John in the New Testament, chapter 15. And today I want to specifically look at two verses, verses 9 and 10. And I want to look at the word and what it means to remain in God's love. I want to look, about, I want to look at what it means, but then I want to look, about, look at what we do as we learn what it means for us pragmatics in the room. So I want to point out that John 15, verses 1 through 8, we're going to start in verse 9. So verses 1 through 8 is actually Jesus talking to his disciples, and he's just given the parable of the vine and the branches. If you're not familiar with the story, read John 15, 1 through 8. It's a parable, a story. But starting in verse 9, he, Jesus is beginning to directly define what that parable meant. So let's look at John 15, verses 9 and 10. I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. So this is the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. We've learned through this series that we've been in all month that Jesus is actually preparing the disciples for his death. Um, the Last Supper, the last Passover meal that he has with his disciples actually happens in John 13. In John 14, Jesus lets the disciples know, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to leave you, the Holy Spirit, your advocate, your come alongsider, your helper. When I'm gone, I will leave you the Holy Spirit. And then in John 18, 
Um, we read of Jesus' betrayal by Judas and then his death on the cross. But sandwiched in between is John 15, and that's where we are this morning. All of Jesus' words are important. In fact, all of the Bible is important. However, when we look at the last words of Jesus, here it is, the last of his earthly ministry before his death on the cross. My ears perk up a little bit. If someone is on their deathbed, the last things they say are pretty important and significant. And that's what's happening here. Jesus is omniscient. He's all-knowing. So he knows what's coming. He knows his death's coming. So what are Jesus' deathbed words to his closest friends, to the disciples? So let's look at this verse, a little bit broken up here. Um, Verse 9, at the very beginning, it says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. If you're taking notes, there's paper notes in your chair backs, or if you've got your app open, this is your first fill-in. It starts with the Father's love. Let me remind you, the disciples have been walking with Jesus on earth for the last three years as his close friends. This particular gospel, the gospel of John, was written by John, a disciple of Jesus. So John was an eyewitness to all these things. He saw the miracles of Christ. He had heard firsthand his teachings. Um, And this is him writing this. And he says, the love begins with the Father and flows through the Son and then to his disciples, to his friends, to us. When we know we're loved, when we trust that love, when we feel safe in that love, we begin to live different. The problem is, We act like the little fish from Finding Nemo, Dory, and we have short-term memory loss. We forget. We forget quickly and often. So the very next thing that Jesus says in the same sentence, the second part of verse 9 says, remain in my love. Here's your next fill-in. Our response to the Father's love is, this is not a typo, This is the Greek word. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. So the Greek word for remain is this word, meno. I have a six-year-old, Willow, and she asks a lot of questions all the time. And she specifically asks a lot of questions about what words mean. And I I consider myself a fairly intelligent person. You know, I, I... speak and I understand the things I am saying, and yet I find myself a little bit stumped by some of the simplest of words that she asks me. It's words like, now these are just things that she's asked me in the last couple of days. Um, what's mature? What's a handyman? What is it? What does collapsed mean? What's unworthy? What's proceed? A- and I think I know what they mean, but sometimes I go to define them and I'm like, I'm using the word to define the word. Have you ever done that? And she's like, yeah, I don't get that, mom. And sometimes Willow just makes up words all on her own. Do you all know that you have a knee pit? Do you know what that is? This is part of your knee. There you go. I asked someone in the last service who is a doctor nurse, and she said there is no word for that. So now you have a word for that. That's a knee pit. Um, Do you know that at the end of a meal when you're at a restaurant, the food server brings you a paycheck? Do you 
you know your vowels and consonants? <laughs> That's consonants, in case you were wondering what she was trying to say. How many of you have ever been to a back shop? That's a chiropractor. That's a chiropractor. <laughs> and then one of my favorites that she says all the time, and I don't have the heart to correct her because I think it's cute, is she says, oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> so interesting. <clears throat> so let's play Willow today, and we're going to look at the word remain. Uh, Les Robinson, who spoke in the second week of the, uh, the series, pointed out that this word remain appears six times in John chapter 15. But what does it mean? Remain, the word mino, means dwelling in a particular place. It means remaining there, abiding there. It suggests the kind of peace and stability that's associated with being home. I have a college kid. She's away at school. When she comes home from breaks, man, the kid lets down. She sleeps like a baby. She eats like a horse. Like she, she feels safe, comfortable, at peace. She feels covered. That's what this word suggests. She feels mino, home. When it's used of relationships, and that's what it's being used of here in this verse, Mino suggests a steadfast, unwavering relationship, heart and soul, unity. So then to remain in Jesus' love means to be immersed in his love. So if the emphasis is love, then Don asks, what do I do? Because I want to know what to do. Give me a checklist. Well, lucky for me, in verse 10, let's read the first part of verse 10. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Here's your next fill-in. Out of Mino, out of remaining, obedience. Obedience is your fill-in. Obedience flows. From that love, when we dwell with God, then our response is obedience. Do you notice that from verse 9 to verse 10, Jesus doesn't gently or apologetically speak of obedience? He doesn't spend the next 10 verses trying to talk us into to obeying. He, um, he, he doesn't try and talk us into it. The very next verse, the very next verse, he begins with, when you obey my commands. I don't think there's a lot of room for misinterpretation here. Let's read the second part of that same verse, verse 10. The second part says, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. So remember I said that when my eldest comes home, she lets down and relaxes. Her behavior's different because she knows she's loved, because she knows she's safe. If we understand those four words, remain in my love, our actions, our behavior, it's different. And Jesus himself, in human form, feelings, emotions, flesh, he set that example for us. If Jesus did it, 
I probably should too. Now, we love to use that as Christians. We like to pick and choose which of Jesus' examples we're going to follow. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, when we're talking about baptism, we love to say we follow Christ's example as one of the reasons why we are baptized in water. We follow Christ's example. But when it comes to obedience, I think we like to give ourselves a pass because we like to to say well he was God he was fully God and that is true Jesus in human form was fully God and fully man the Bible says that he was sinless and clearly I am not but we either follow Christ's example or we don't there are not shades of obedience we do or we don't Uh, please don't misunderstand me I choose disobedience all the time, all the time. It's why I'm completely independent upon Jesus Christ and the blood he shed for me on the cross to forgive my sins so that I could be in relationship with God the Father. I, I choose disobedience. But as I abide in him and remain in his love, my response is obedience. Jesus asks nothing of his disciple community that he is not already modeled for us in the abiding love which he has in, in the Father. Listen to this. Abiding, loving, and keeping commandments are all bound up together in a mutual relationship. They all go together. All right, so based on the things I've already shared with you and the things that my husband completely like laid bare in front of you, it may not surprise you that I'm a pretty type A person. I'm like a, a box checker. I'm, I'm, for the most part, I'm a rule follower. Remember, not sinless, just I like rules. I know they're there. It's easy to obey them for me. All right, I already know this about myself. This is not brand new information. I've been on the earth for a couple years. I do know that. But I was reminded of this keenly when I went shopping a couple weeks ago with my dear friend, Pastor Rachel. So Pastor Rachel and I went to Walmart, and I knew I was in trouble when she decided to enter through the exit door. I couldn't, I was like, it says exit, you walk, there's an I. I shop at Walmart every week, and I will tell you, I judge those exit enterers every week. I'm like, mm, they can't read, they're going in through them. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. <clears throat> because after she looked at me cross and was like, get in here, we got to go. Come on, let's go. Um, and we're done shopping, and I get in the line to have the person at the exit check the receipt so I can leave, right? Oh, not Pastor Rachel. No, she willy-nilly just walks out the door. And again, looks back at me like, um, are you coming? And I was like, I, literally, you guys, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. I, I'm like, I don't know if we could be friends. This is like, a, this could be a deal breaker. Here. I, all right, I know that's a silly example, albeit very true, I am embarrassed to say. But here's my point. When we take these two verses together, I begin to see that obedience is not rule following. It's not box checking. Obedience flows from our abiding relationship with and to the Father and from knowing that we're loved. I was having a conversation recently with my 20-year-old, my college, my college kid, who is not a rule follower, apparently takes after Pastor Rachel. She's not a box checker, 
But one of the things that she struggles with is feeling like she's failing God. Because, you know, her Bible app, you guys use the Bible app, she's not getting no awards from a Bible reading streak. Do you guys know what I'm talking? You type A, you know what I'm talking about because you live for those awards. You know, how many days in a row did I read my? She's not winning any of those awards. And so sometimes her struggle is I'm failing. I'm failing God. But she said this to me just a few weeks ago. She said, I'm learning it's not about the rules. It's about the one who gives them. That struck me because as a box checker, I can easily miss that my doing flows from my being. All right, remember at the beginning when I said I had good news and bad news for us type A box checker pragmatic people? Here it is. This is one of your fill-ins here. The bad news is the good news. Our salvation is not based on doing. Our salvation is based on relationship. Knowing that the Father in heaven so passionately loves me that he sent his spotless, blameless son to earth to live in human form, becoming susceptible to aging, sickness, and a violent death for me. That love propelled him to rescue and save me, a lost sinner. You, as I abide in him, as I remain, Mino, in that, when I experience heart and soul unity with the Father, I begin to hear the heartbeat of God for humanity, and it changes the way I live. I can't help but do his will. I can't help but obey. I told you when I started um, this morning that I started a new reading plan. And remember Genesis? And I did start in Genesis. But this year, for the first time, I'm doing a chronological reading plan. So I'm reading the Bible in order as it happens. So I'm reading through Genesis, very familiar. And I read Genesis 11. It's talking about the Tower of Babel and God confusing the languages. And the very next day, bam, I'm in Job. So... <clears throat> Job is my least favorite book in all the Bible, and if you've ever read Job, I'm sure you will understand why. Um, the story of a man of God who loses absolutely everything is not really my idea of a feel-good story, so I really don't enjoy it. Um, it's two chapters of like utter devastation and then 34 chapters of really bad advice from Job's friends. <clears throat> but then God speaks. And Job listens, and Job repents of his arrogance and his pride. And then one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, found at the very end of my least favorite book in all of the Bible, happens. Job 42.5. Job says to God, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Job's not talking about, I physically saw you. Job began to realize it's not about the box checking. It's not about all the to-dos. It's about intimacy with God. And when we take hold of that kind of intimacy, our circumstances do not define our relationship to God. Our relationship, our mino, our relationship defines our relationship to God. Last year, I was listening to um, a podcast 
by a pastor named Davy Blackburn. And Davy and his young wife, Amanda, they had a, a toddler son, um, had been pastoring. And um, Amanda, his Davy's wife, was tragically killed in a home invasion robbery. And out of that tragedy, Davy Blackburn started a podcast called Nothing is Wasted. Early on in the, in, as he starts the podcast, he actually does an interview with his father-in-law, Phil. Now, Phil would have been Amanda's dad. So Phil lost his daughter. Davey lost his wife. And Phil and Davey are actually having a conversation about what would happen if Davey remarried. Um, how would the fi- family dynamic change? <clears throat> and Phil, the father-in-law, says this to Davey. He says, when we brought you into the family, we grafted you into the family tree. So when we look at you, I don't look at you through an in-law filter. I look at you as my son. And so you are my son. And then Phil goes to talk, on, talk about Davy remarrying and, and what a new wife, what that would mean for Davy's new wife. And Phil says, our family just grows. You're our son, and that's never going to change. Now, the two illustrations I just gave, the one of Job and then this one of Davy, those are, they're human illustrations, so they're imperfect, but they make a parallel. They illustrate that God's love for is, us is unwavering. It's unchanging. And when we truly grab hold of that, it changes the way we live. For the first 21 days of January, uh, the Foursquare denomination, that's the denomination the sanctuary is a part of, did a 21-day fast. And as part of that fast, they would email out daily devotions. They were very short devotions. And this one that I read particularly struck me. It was actually written by a missionary who was serving in an area known as Manaka. Now, do any of you know what Manaka is? Because I didn't. My 16-year-old, who, thank goodness for 16-year-old to know everything, actually enlightened me. She actually didn't know this. It, it's the Middle East, Northern Africa, and Central Asia region. And it's, it's dangerous. Their lives, if you are a Christian there, their lives are in danger. So they didn't publish her name or her photo for the devotional. But this is what she said. It'll be on your screen here. I can acknowledge that Jesus is the Savior, baptizer with the Holy Spirit, healer, and the soon coming King. But Everything changes when he becomes my savior, my baptizer with the Holy Spirit, my healer, and my king. I serve in a context where there is often great resistance to the message of the gospel. However, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only a message I preach, it is also a new reality of fellowship with God that has transformed my life and continues to do so day after day. I cannot stop proclaiming what I have heard what I have seen, what I have looked at and, and touched. His life has come to mind, and this truly is good news. Daily living in the fullness of the whole gospel, we share his life with others, giving what we have received. Love and obedience are the fruit of the abiding relationship of the father, of, of the father and son. So for my pragmatic friends, For those of us taskers, those tell-me-what-to-doers, how do we obey? It's such a big word. How do we obey? Something that my husband says often is, inspiration must be followed by perspiration. So how are we going to perspire today? What are we going to do? Please don't tune me out. (laughs) I'm almost done. 
And I don't want you to think of this as a commercial. I want you to hear me. That's what the Thrive Journey is. It's discipleship. And if we call Jesus Lord, we are his disciples. And this is what we do because of who we are, because of what he did. So let me share with you what it means to remain ongoing and active in the love of Christ. It means knowing the word is inerrant. It is without flaws, the absolute truth and the rock that we anchor to. We're going to be talking about the word. It means learning how to quiet our emotions and thoughts and submit them to the one who created them. We allow him to speak to the scary circumstances we're experiencing and not being blown about by every terrible thing that comes our way. We're going to be talking about meditation. It means knowing that we have direct access to the God of the universe, the one who created us and intimately knows us, and he wants to hear from us, and he wants to speak to us in prayer. It means making, expressing our love, our adoration, our reverence of the God of the creator, a priority in our daily and private lives, giving him the honor and glory he deserves in worship. It means understanding his deep love for us so that we can discover who he's created us to be for the purpose of serving him and serving others within our community by knowing ourselves and others. It means regularly and often plugging in to Jesus' loving community. He's placed around us to both serve that community and allow them to give to us both practically. We talked about the community care trailer, nothing more practical than eating, practically and spiritually. We're going to talk about the theology of church, and we're going to talk about community at the sanctuary. It means submitting everything I have to the Lord to be used. It means allowing God to bring people into my life who can challenge me, sharpen me, love me, care for me, and allow God to use me in the same way to serve others. We're going to talk about stewardship. We're going to talk about accountability. We're going to talk about fellowship. And finally, when all that happens, it means telling others about that amazing love and the source of that love and introducing them to the one who is the source of that love. We're going to talk about evangelism. That's what discipleship is. And when we call ourselves Christ followers, learners, disciples, it is what we do, not because the sanctuary says so, because the word of God says so, and Christ set the example for us of which we are to follow. As we get ready to close this morning and the worship team comes up, I may be speaking to some of you this morning that you don't know this love that I'm talking about. You don't know what the blood of Christ covered. You do know that you're not perfect because I think most of us do realize that we are a sinner and we would love a do-over. We would love a second chance. When Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for us, a sinless son of God, and then rose again and beat death, it was for my sins and your sins. And when we receive that love and that forgiveness, the barrier between us and God is torn and we have intimacy with the Father. Would you close your eyes for a minute, please? 
And if you're hearing me this morning and you have no idea what that is or you know you have not had that moment to receive that and you want to with everyone else with your eyes closed and I promise I will not embarrass you, would you just slowly put your hand up so I can see you and I'm just going to pray for you. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Father God, thank you that your passionate love for us propelled you to send your son, Jesus Christ, in human form, subject to a violent death for me, for my friends here today, for us sinners. And Lord, I pray for those in the room that have lifted their hands and do not know that kind of forgiveness. Would you begin a relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with them today? And as they walk out that love, that they would become who you've created them to be. In the name of Jesus and Father, as we close this part of our service, that we would walk out and not only be hearers of the word, but doers, that you would show us that abiding love leads into a relationship and outflows obedience. Show us how to walk in that obedience today. In Jesus' name, amen.